Hey guys, what's up? It's Lizzie Jane, and we are back with another episode of podcast. We have on Harley Rapp this week. She is marketing director, social media manager, merchandise coordinator, A&R, and so much more at Deadbeats record label, which is also Zed's Dead's label. If you are into EDM in any way, shape, or form, you definitely know about Deadbeats for putting out some of the most massive bangers out there. Um, they have shows that go on with their label, the massive Deadbeats shows. Every year they come to Denver and they have a huge three-day run, two nights at Red Rocks, the Dead Beach Jamboree. They have massive shows at the Brooklyn Mirage every year. And she just helps with all of that. She is an absolute star. I was so excited to have the opportunity to speak with her. I learned so much and I think you guys can too from this conversation, especially if you're an up and coming act or an aspiring industry professional. Listen closely. Don't forget, you can get this podcast ad free only on my Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash this is lizzie jane i offer bloopers exclusives group lessons one-on-one so on and so forth i hope you guys are having an awesome day and let's just get to it you are tuning in to the lizzie jane podcast with special guest harley rap The show today was brought to you by Vitaplur E-Boost Gum. With no pill to take or powders to mix, Vitaplur E-Boost Gum is a first-of-its-kind energy rave supplement that provides magnesium, electrolytes, and antioxidants while you chew. Vitaplur is the perfect complement to my active lifestyle, whether it's at the festival, on the road touring, or hitting the gym. Chew Vitaplur and dance with confidence. Use code LizzieJane for 10% off any order. Hi, Harley. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, hey. Thank you for having me. For those listening, Harley wears multiple hats at the very well-known electronic dance music label, Deadbeats, which is also Zed's Dead's label. Um, thank you so much for being here. And I really just like wanted to have someone on from the back end. I've never had anyone on so far that has handled like AR and merchandise and show rollouts and you seem to have a bit of a foot in everything and I'm sure at one point it gets to be a lot but how are you enjoying your you know journey with the Deadbeats label? I love it like I gotta say this is probably my favorite job I've not even probably this is my favorite job I've ever had um, working with music and artists that I love, uh, getting to be part of events that are just super fun and part of such an amazing team. It's, it's awesome. Like I'm loving every minute of it. Absolutely. And I feel yeah. like Deadbeats is just one of those labels that's like so well known by everybody, like in the electronic dance music scene, such like an aspiration and a goal for up and coming artists to be signed on Deadbeats and like play their shows and work with their artists. And there's so many artists that I think have been really exposed to just a such a wide listening demographic through their releases from Deadbeats because Deadbeats is just one of the only labels that really has that show outlet attached to music releases and like building up an artist and so on and so forth. And I would love to know kind of how 
you got involved with deadbeats, like what some of your background is. Were you just a sponge? Did you have previous experience? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I've sort of been around the music scene since a young age and I've been attending underground bass events since I was a teenager. Um, my older brother is a music producer and a DJ and those who know me know who he is. Uh, but thanks to him, I was able to attend so many shows and network. And I just remember I was always so fascinated about the culture and what it takes to produce a show and just like the roles of everyone involved. So it sort of made sense. I ended up in the music industry, but I found myself working at a music venue here in Toronto for a few years. And uh, in that time, I also interned for various music companies. Um, but I, I ended up reaching out to Adam Gill, who owns two plus two management, which has Zed's dead res and like a bunch of other artists. Um, asking him if he had any leads and he didn't at the time, but eventually when Zed's dead launched deadbeats and they hired Harrison as a label manager, eventually, uh, as the label quickly grew, Adam reached back out to me and asked if I'd be interested in coming on the team as, uh, like overseeing merch duties and a bit of like an admin role. So of course I said yes. And I got hired mainly just to do merch and admin duties. And I remember I immediately asked Harrison if I could run the socials and he was happy to let me cause he had like 5 million other things on his plate. Uh, and fast forward seven or so years later, here I am and doing a lot more than just merch. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like thanks yeah. for the background. And it's crazy because I feel like, especially in the music industry where people are like ever changing and so many people, including like artists, have to really be like freelance and wear like a bunch of different hats and know a bunch of different skills. Um, it's crazy to hear that you've been with them for seven years because that's just such a period of growth from when the label started to what the label is doing now, in addition to, you know, Altered States, which is Zedstead's kind of like sister label for a little bit of a different subgenre of electronic music. And I know you have such a foothold in all of that. Uh, what has it been like to really see the label grow from what it was? And like when it was in the beginning days, how was kind of the tonality? Were they just really looking for kind of the stuff that they played in their sets? Was it something of like, we want to curate this whole universe for like bass music and kind of deep house and progressive house music and bass house? Like, how was it compared to just the massive label it is now? I think it's always been like, Deadbeats has always kind of had its own sound since the beginning. And that sound is like edgy, forward-thinking electronic music, which spans from dubstep to drum and bass to house music and anything in between and it was always kind of the mo that uh it's music that's not fit for the main stage and like kind of supporting artists and sounds that are not getting that traditional support so that's kind of like where the ideas for the music came from and uh of course like zed's dead wants wants to have stuff that they can play out in their sets and on deadbeats radio show so having like those footsteps in place, like really helped us kind of create what the deadbeat sound is and what kind of artists we're looking for and 
Yeah, I mean, now, like, like Zed's dad are obviously involved in all the A&R stuff, but it's cool that, like, Harrison and I kind of, we, we kind of have an understanding of exactly what they're looking for. Absolutely. I mean, I remember as a high schooler listening to the Zed's dead basement mentality sets. And it was like, yes, they would take the best. this like two hour journey of everything from like, like deep dub 140 stuff all the way into like drum and bass into like their first remixes that were just like, obviously now they're I would say household remixes that you just hear so many times over and over again, whether they're bootleg from other artists or they drop the original. I absolutely, they were just one of my first artists that really got me into electronic dance music. And I feel like that's the same statement for so many, you know, up and coming acts, so many people who are involved in the scene and on the back end of it. And as far Definitely. as like A and R, so that's artists and repertoire. I know Harrison does kind of like run the front hold of the ship. And I know that the guys have obviously the final say in what's expected and what's going to be signed. But I would really love for you to kind of walk me through the process of, you know, how you guys approach listening to music. Because I think a lot of people who would potentially be listening to this podcast, you know, are curious about how to properly submit music you know what do i say when i submit it what are they looking for is my project big enough is it is it too small am i too new x y and z i know all of these things went through my head when i first started submitting to labels when i didn't have a team um so yeah i would i would love for you to talk about that a little bit so right now we're kind of at a stage where we can really be a bit more selective about who we release from like we kind of just we're in a good place where we can reach out to artists that we admire or, or like the guys are feeling and ask if they have anything they can share with us we have like artists that we like who also reach out to us asking if they can release with us so we kind of just have been operating on that kind of uh a schedule um not so much digging through the demo emails anymore, unfortunately, just because like it can be a lot and we, we have so many, like our calendar fills up really fast, but that's not to say that like, you know, smaller artists don't have a chance of getting on. Cause we still do the deadbeats compilation albums every year. And that's, that that's honestly like one of my favorite projects to work on. Cause we get to get those up and coming smaller artists and, put them on a compilation and then from there they'll usually release more with us further down the line um so like that's kind of what what we've been doing how we've been doing it these days uh and also like touching on what you said before like uh you know that's like look as as in terms of sound like uh zed's dead because they're not strictly just a bass act right like like you said like they're multi uh, genre really versatile producers so their label reflects that too so we're always looking we're not just a base label we're always looking for something different and just have a few different genres going at a time absolutely and like some of my favorite releases that have come off the label just off the top of my head are like 
some of those base house artists like nostalgic CP and yes. like some of, you know, some of the stuff that's more in that deep house lane that kind of touches on those remixes that they did in like the early 2000s. And it's just like that vibey, enjoyable, super catchy hooks kind of song that like made everybody fall in love with electronic dance music. And of course, yes. now, you know, what you said, Deadbeats is at a level where it's kind of like, hey, you're either reaching out to an artist or a team or somebody who is kind of put in their time or put in their work can have can reach out or have their team reach out like, hey, is this up your alley? Hey, is this on your line? Because I'm I'm sure the demo email is just filled with like hundreds of potentially thousands of links and SoundCloud. So links. many. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. But it's always cool when you do see a label that is as big as Deadbeats that does those compilations because it's such a great way or do, you know, the remix albums when they put out an album and you have new people come on the label doing remixes. Like, it's such a cool way to introduce a new artist to like the Deadbeats crowd and to the Deadbeats fan base. And then when you start to see them pop up a little bit more, pop up here and there, it's always super enjoyable. Like Hayes comes to mind there, Sippy comes to mind yes. there, the way that they were introduced to the label. And now it's like they really call this label their home where they've really received so many opportunities of growth through the Deadbeat shows, through having a home at the label for music releases. And it's it's really cool. It's I think of it sometimes as just like a really established club night where you can really have anybody there and it's still going to have 2,000, 3,000 people walk through the door. I feel like that's what Deadbeats is. Like when you have a release on Deadbeats, you know you're going to get people who didn't previously listen to this artist come and listen to them just because the Deadbeats name has kind of supported them and gotten behind their art. And and to think from like Nostalgics to like Florit Lorit and all of these guys that are like tapping into that niche subgenres that are really not bass music or dubstep music um, is just really cool to see the expansion because I really feel like there are so many, there's so few labels in like the electronic niche that really have that wide array. And when you guys are really listening to demos and collecting, you know, from artists that you've potentially sought out, if you're a smaller artist and let's say your five-year goal, your whatever goal is to, you know, get picked up by Deadbeats or get a, get a song on Deadbeats, would you really recommend just to keep doing your thing and building your project? Because like the more that you kind of have eyes turn on you, the more it's going to be a potential that down the line, hey, this makes sense. Hey, your sound is developed. Hey, you have a demand here. Cool, cool, cool. Or is it, you know just about the music and maybe the other things don't matter as much. What would you say there? I think absolutely your brand matters. Um, obviously, first and foremost, the music has to be, has to be unique and great and kind of like, you know, interesting and something we haven't done before really. Uh, but from a marketing standpoint, for sure, like we, we want to see that you're kind of got some hustle there. Like maybe, maybe that's, you're throwing your own event in your, in your city, or you have like a cool fashion line or like you're really good at social media or something like anything that you can add to your brand, just it, it makes you stronger and it makes it, it makes you more likely to be approached by labels and, and, you know, um, just in general. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of crazy because, 
obviously music is always going to be the most important part. However, we're in a time now where you have TikTok and you have Instagram and you have Facebook and you have all of these things of other ways that you can kind of break down that fourth wall and connect and relate to your fans or potential fans or potential listeners. And it's really just not a music game anymore. I don't think it really ever has been, but now more than ever, so many panels and other podcasts and other interviews open the discussion that you know, you kind of have this like pizza pie and like X amount of slices and X amount of percentage is your music. And then X amount of percentage is your social media presence and X amount of percentage is what else are you bringing unique to yourself or unique to your personality or your brand that can really open up that window in front of you to create your like own lane. And what you said before, like with Deadbeats, if you're going to bring on a new artist, you're not trying to bring on an artist who's trying to sound like another artist that's already on deadbeats. You know, you want to bring on somebody who's creating their own lane, who's maybe a little bit left field, but is really doing something cool and unique. Yeah, exactly. Like we, you know, if, if you can't, if you're not doing anything to market yourself, there's only so much we can do. Like you got to be able to market your brand and, you know, it's, it's a team effort like that will make it easier for us to like introduce the new artists to our audience. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, no, absolutely. It's, it's kind of something that I think a lot of people have heard in just like back rooms talking and casual conversation, but as a upcoming artist, I think a lot of people really see through like the eyes of social media and it can become quite intimidating to like start a journey to start to build yourself start to create that unique lane and I feel like with anything it just takes so much time I mean even reflecting on like your relationship with like Zed's dad and Harrison and deadbeats you know you guys have been working on this for seven years like it takes time to build anything that's that's worthwhile and anything that's like really gonna create a change in an industry or a cultural change in an industry like deadbeats has done in electronic dance music. And I feel like when I think about deadbeats, so much of the things and the pictures that come to mind, like are the merchandise. And I know you were originally brought on, you know, to fulfill merch duties, to help with designs, to help with this rollout, because it's really different when, you know, you have an artist and you have that like regular like t-shirt where like the brand's right here and you've got the name and you've got the logo. And then now we're in this kind of point in time where if you really want to play the merch game, you're really following more of like creating a lifestyle brand and something that people can rock and enjoy just like your sweatshirt where I'm not like, I know it's dead beats, but I'm also going, okay, well, I like the washout. I like the tie dye. It's not just like a black hoodie that has the logo and that's it. So how did you kind of learn the ropes of merchandise in general because i know i'm sure it's very similar to what an artist would do is what a label would do as far as inventory and ordering and designs did you guys outsource do you guys work with a company like how do you decide when it's time for new merch is it on a quarterly basis like all of that stuff uh we're really blessed to work with an amazing merch company here in toronto you've probably heard of kill the eight they pretty much dominate like the bass music merch scene and beyond. 
Um, and Tony, the CEO knows his stuff. Like he's been in this business since the nineties. So getting to work with him was just such an educational experience. Like, I feel like, like, you know, cause I, I got into this role never having a merch background at all. So everything I know I learned on the way and just working so closely with kill Yate, like, you know, he's got, he, he can gauge exactly how many of a, how many units of a product to produce. And like, sometimes those numbers sound crazy to us, but then the product sells out the day it drops or like for tour stock, we have to be aware of each market for each city and like make note of which markets historically buy more merch on the road and ship the appropriate amount to each city. And it's like just having that knowledge and, and learning all that stuff from kill the eight has been really eye opening And uh, in terms of like what kind of pieces and what designs like kill the eights also able to tell us like what kind of things traditionally sell well and what doesn't. So they'll maybe they'll be like, don't do a black hoodie that, you know, they don't sell well. There's too many black hoodies out there. Do like a tie dye. Uh, so we really just like, we're just blessed to like have that kind of advice. And now from working with them, I, I kind of, know know my shit in a way too <laughs> absolutely and i yeah. feel like so much of it because there's so many different aspects it's like if the boys are you know dropping an album you're gonna have the album merch and you're gonna have that whole line and then with all of their deadbeats shows and deadbeats stops you have to almost exactly what you said like you've been working with them for seven years so you have to look at the market history and understand inventory and all of that stuff. But kill the eight is a hundred percent. I feel like every three out of five or maybe four out of five nationally touring acts work with kill the eight just because they put out really, really quality shit. I can't tell you how many artists I've either gotten sent stuff or bought stuff and it's all kill the eight. And they just have, it seems such a great workflow and such a great team to really roll certain lines out and that really kind of segues me into a question where you know if they're doing all the designs and they're producing all of the merch i know as an up-and-coming act when you're spending so much to really start a business or start your project and you're not going to see a profit margin or you're not going to see a return from your investment for a really really long time a demand has to be there for an artist to start creating merch. A hundred percent. I feel like everybody can put those together. But when would you really say from your expertise is the right time to start working with a company like Kill the Eight? Because I'm sure without discussing details, you know, they do take cut of the merch because they're producing it, they're shipping it, they're doing all of that stuff. So where's the happy medium of, okay, well, I... I have the demand for merch. I have the demand for two or three pieces in a line. Am I going to see any money on the back end? Or is this a furthermore investment to work with a company that's incredibly qualified and that creates high quality products? Because merch right now, still to this day, is one of the highest profit margins that an artist can kind of like go on and endeavor on because you spend so much money throwing shows, getting to shows, you know, investing in press photos, doing whatever without seeing any money really come back or break even as a new touring act, that merch bucket is supposed to be where you're able to get some of that investment 
back. But if you're working with a company that's taking a lot of that, how do those really even out? That's a really good question. Um, the things I think about at night when I can't <laughs> sleep, you know, because <laughs> it's like me, like I would love to work with a company like Kill the Eight. And I know, you know, we personally had a conversation where they work with artists of, you know, caliber size. Like they're not going to tell Laura, they're not going to tell Sippy to order the same amount of merch that Zed's dead's going to order because that would just not make sense. But at the same time, it's like, is Sippy going to get a good enough amount of merch where she can actually make money on it instead of just breaking even, you know, have, did you guys ever have to go through that kind of at the beginning of your time at deadbeats where you guys were trying to just figure out what do these people want? Do they want shoes? Do they want hats? Do they want shirts, sweatpants? How are these going to sell? Or were they just really on top of that from the get go? Uh, Pretty much from the get go, they, they kind of just like, took uh the historical sales from the zed's dead merch that they were putting out and we're like okay this is what works this doesn't so they kind of guided us in that way from the beginning so we've always had like some like pretty decent success with the deadbeats merch um but as for like when to decide when to start using a company i mean kill the eight like you said like they work with all different sized like artists and companies, like whether you, like it's a, a big headlining act or just like a smaller, more personal act. Um, but I don't know. I think that if you're first starting out, like you, there's definitely things you can do just like to kind of gauge what kind of demand you have. Like I think uh, doing like a print to order or like a pre-order to start out is a great, is a great idea. Cause then you can really see like how many units people are ordering and kind of see like what kind of demand you have and then not have to uh, make such a big financial commitment. Cause you're only printing the ones that people order and not having like a huge back stock that you wasted all your money on and like can't sell. Um, but I'd also recommend for, artists who do have the resources to like print a bunch of units um to like if you have the if you have the the resources to produce a number of units what i'm saying like keep that unit fairly small and you can judge based on knowing your audience and your demand whether that be 50 t-shirts or 20 t-shirts or even like 10 t-shirts uh if you drop 10 t-shirts and they all sell out online no one has to know that you only printed 10 t-shirts like and then by the by the next time you restock another 10 units fans might be even more inclined to purchase based on the fact that you sold out that last run so there's definitely like ways you can kind of handle it without having to spend too much money um and you can do all of that independently with like a local printer like it doesn't have to be a full service like kill the eight because they'll they do everything from not just printing but outsourcing and storing and shipping so yeah yeah. absolutely i feel like it's very much so less is more kind of thing where you're 100 percent right it's like if you're an up-and-coming act and you know people have discussed wanting merch or you just want to see do 10 shirts and then if they sell out it looks great yeah like they never had to know you only printed 10 you know exactly 
and and make it look like you're you're make it look like you're already selling out drops like doesn't matter how many like it's a good look I love that and it's yeah I, I feel like a lot of people on both sides too because I I do see labels popping up really left and right now which is <laughs> amazing sure. which is amazing because it gives people like a home now is it a home that provides value to you signing away part of your master i'm sure that takes time to develop but it's so much of the journey of like not wanting to be at the end goal and i think a lot of people have an issue including me of like always wanting the next thing to be there instead of enjoying like the process and like the growth of a brand or the growth of a project or the growth of a label and to now see like from when you started which i'm sure it was a much smaller team to i know you guys still run a tight ship you guys are all up in canada correct in toronto running the label and everything correct okay awesome and then so when you guys come now and throw these massive parties, like I know today you announced you're going to be doing your Miami Music Week party like you guys always do. And, yeah. you know, there's always one at the Brooklyn Mirage and there's always one in Chicago and there's always one in Texas and Denver. You guys have that massive three-day weekend for July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. You know, the Jamboree, yeah. two nights at Red Rocks. Um, is it Was it a hassle kind of like getting everybody's work visas and getting like, how does that work in like your case when you're like helping with things over in the United States? Like, have you ever had to get a work visa or has it just been kind of like you're doing everything from your office in Toronto? It's not needed. Like an artist would have to get a visa and that's it. Yeah. Only the artists really need to get the visas because they're the ones like, if, I mean, if it's a Canadian artist, obviously, because they're the ones that are performing and getting paid from like in American. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still like, we're based out of Toronto and we do all the work here and over, you know, we can work anywhere remotely. So it doesn't, that, that doesn't become an issue for us. Good. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. I was kind of curious because you're over here so much, you're in the States so much, like traveling yeah. or helping with shows. And I'm like, who? I'm like a little bit curious on how that really kind of works. And as far as, the lineups for the shows. I know, obviously, majority, if not all, of the acts from opening to Zed's Dead headlining have been a part of Deadbeats in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a remix or an EP or an original release or release on the compilation. Um, How do you guys really go about, I would say, selecting support for those shows? Is it based on, you know agencies is it based on these individuals support our artists market history in x amount of markets like how do you guys really go about that because i know you see similar names on a lot of the deadbeats lineups and then you'll get new names on a lot of the deadbeats lineups so is it just like every year you're cycling in new people and you have people who have those headline market history you know they're going to bring people through the door and that's how you approach it? Or is it kind of different every time based on the boys' opinions or their recommendations? Typically, our approach to to just being part of Deadbeats is first you release with us, and then we'll put you on the road and we'll put you on some shows. So we always have like the list of artists that we're releasing from and working with, and that will be on the radar of the agents that we work with at Wasserman 
who are amazing and they know exactly which artists to put into which markets, which ones will sell. It's not always Deadbeats artists. Sometimes they'll just be like a special artist on the lineup who uh, does really popular, is really popular in that market or something. But typically we do like to include just like the Deadbeats family. Like we, we do consider like all the artists that we have on the label a family. And that's why we continue working with the same artists a lot. And that's why you see like such familiar faces like Sippy and Hayes and Blank and a hundred drums. And, and uh, we really like that family aspect. So we always want to make sure that we have the artists that are kind of representing us and releasing with us on those lineups. Absolutely. And it really does just make sense. And you guys always have such diverse lineups too, which is always, you know, from us being both women in the industry, like we, we appreciate the diversity gender wise and racially wise. And like, you guys have always checked all those boxes, which I know just sits well with a lot of people that you guys are fighting for like all inclusivity, as far as like, a huge array of artists being represented on those lineups, which is obviously a lot of fun. And there's awesome women who are involved with dead beats as far as like an artist side goes, like saying like Laura, like Gabby, like they're all sweet. A hundred drums lives here in Denver and she's an absolute sweetheart. And it's, it's been so cool to really watch her grow. I remember I, I met her briefly after she got let go from her corporate job, like her daytime job. And she's like, well, I'm all in. This is it. <laughs> and I feel like you guys have just taken like such good care of her. And now she's like headlining her own shows. And to see the growth of some of the artists that I think just started playing opening slots for these like deadbeat shows to really develop into like headlining acts in like an array of markets like Sippy as well is so, so, so exciting. Um, and as far as, you know, Denver, I would say base capital of the United States. It may not yes. measure up to <laughs> Ontario and Toronto and Montreal, but Oh, it, it's like on a tenfold. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. It some, is a base capital. Like, some people are like, oh, Montreal is like better than Denver. And I'm like, mm, is it though? Is it no? And you're like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. not. There's oh, nowhere funny. like Denver. Like Denver, Denver is just one of my favorite cities. Like it's it's so great. It's, it really is the base capital. <laughs> it really is. And because those boys do four shows in three days. And I remember that's where I met you briefly. That's where I met Zach. That's where I met so many people like for the first time this past July 4th at Red Rocks. And, you know, they do Red Rocks on July 2nd. They do Red Rocks on July 3rd. Jamboree July 4th. Mission Ballroom night of July 4th. And it's just crazy. It's just crazy like to see one them just power through and be complete troopers because that just takes so much energy out of you but it's a whole like what you said like it's a family affair like all of the agents are there from Wasserman Harrison's there you're there all so many artists came that like weren't even playing that like live in Denver or live like kind of in this region like Smokeland and all of these boys who are just like they love deadbeats and it's it's awesome because I don't really think you get that family vibe too much in a lot of labels that kind of exist nowadays and so as far as your artists go you know are you guys exclusively signing them are they on under any contracts with you that include you know an amount of music that they have to give to you to be on shows or x y and z uh, we sign artists on a release to release basis only. We've never been the type of label to like 
lock in an artist and trap them and be like, you can only release with us. Like, believe it or not, like we actually encourage a lot of artists that sign with us to release on other labels because ultimately we want to help. We want to help the artists. We want to help build their careers. We want to see them go off and do their own thing too. Like, like you said about like Sippy and a hundred drums, how they're doing headlining shows. Like if we see an artist who released with us announce a headline tour or a Red Rock show or even announce their own label, we kind of feel like we did our jobs right. Like we don't see it as a competition. Um, we just, we want everyone to thrive. Right. And like, ultimately it, it, it helps everyone because like, if we have, if we encourage our artists to release elsewhere and they're exposing their music to other fans and like other, like, you know, people that follow the other labels, then it help it helps us in the end when they come back to release with us or if we put them on one of our lineups, uh, they're more popular at that point. So it works out like if we like and giving the artists that kind of free freedom always makes them want to come back and work with us. Absolutely. I just did a podcast with Cray the other week and she said like very clearly like everybody can have cake like everybody can have their own cake and eat it and like that's so true exactly where, where it it feels like a competition so much of the time but the best people i've met and the best people i've worked with in a professional setting have had like like a feast versus famine mentality where it's like if i do this and i help you and you help me and we cross promote and even if you go somewhere else they're still going to be like she released on Deadbeats. This was a Deadbeats act. Like, oh, like, I love her discography from Deadbeats, so let me go here. Oh, I found her here. And then, oh my God, she has five EPs on Deadbeats. Sick. Cool. And it's all just, like, pushing in this massive circle. And I feel like we're getting better. Maybe I'm just meeting awesome people in the industry. But in the short time that I've been kind of on this journey. I feel like now more than ever, there's just a lot of people with a collaborative mindset that are very open to um, just discussing things and not like holding them in their chest. And like, I, I would say, you know, just talking about past experiences, past mistakes, stuff like even on this podcast that people can really learn from instead of having to go through it on their own and then being like, oh, I wish I wish I knew this because I think there's so many things throughout, I'm sure your journey, my journey, where you go, oh, I wish somebody told me this or I wish somebody told me how to avoid this or all of that stuff. And with your, you know, journey with Deadbeats, obviously you've been extremely committed to them for a super long time. Have there been really... Has it been just like an ongoing kind of educational journey of how to wear like multiple hats in the industry? And like the more that you wear, kind of the more that you're going to be able to have, you know, tasks and opportunities kind of sit on your shoulder and like you continue to learn that and then continue to build your resume that way. Absolutely. Like every day is a learning experience. Like I feel like every day, is different and every day I learn something new. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I love this so much. It's like constantly challenging me. And I mean, I, I feel like I like it better than if I were to work at a label that has like 40 employees and each one has like a specific task mm -hmm. and they only do that one role. Like the fact that we're such a small team means that we 
are we're involved in like every aspect of the operations of the label and it it i like it so much better that way because like we're constantly learning and you know for example like over the pandemic when we had to stop live live shows and move it over to twitch like learning how to broadcast on twitch was like a, a skill i never thought that i would need to learn and it's like now I can add that to my resume. Not that I know, I, I don't know how useful that is, but it's like, I have all these random things I know how to do now just from us being such a small team. Uh, or as Harrison always calls it, like three hamsters in a wheel. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is true. Like we're, we're small, but like we get things done and, and I, I love it that way. I love that every day I'm, I'm learning something new. Absolutely. And I feel like we just work in an industry that you just have to work until you make shit happen and you have to figure exactly. it out. And thankfully, we live in a time where we have YouTube and we have communication with other people and we have the internet to figure things out. And really, so much of production, so much of, you know, everything from the streaming thing, which I had to do too with Soundflower and getting everything on OBS <laughs> and, and like, I would be just like nerve wracked. I would have like my, I had my old Mac desktop from when I was like a child that I would stream on and I would just be so scared. It was going to crash or I know you guys did the deadbeats house parties. And with all of that, like all of that was like streamed and in real time. And there's just so many things that you could potentially have to troubleshoot to come kind of away from that where when you have a live show, it's okay if things fuck up because you're doing a live show. But when you're on Twitch, I feel like everybody looks at it as kind of an entertainment platform where it's kind of like this TV, YouTube, weird video thing that everything needs to just run incredibly smoothly. And all of the transitions need to run really smoothly. And you guys would have that channel running for like 24 hours at a time sometimes, which is crazy. Yeah, it's... It definitely like that Twitch, the Twitch streaming was like a lot of pressure. Like, I just remember like, it, like if there's like, if there's technical difficulties at a live event, then like people, people stay and wait, right? Cause they already bought the ticket and they're there. There's technical difficulties on a live stream. Like so many people would comment, all right, well, it's not on yet. I'm out. And it would be, I remember it would stress me out so much. I'd be like, how can we keep these people in the room? But it's like technical difficulties happen. And it, it was such a different world that I wasn't used to. And thinking back, like, I can't even believe we, we all were there at one point. <laughs> it was crazy. I just remember everything happening. And just, I'm sure on your end, too, it's like the amount of emails that started to roll through, like, end of January 2020 into February of 2020. And then it was going to be two weeks that we were all going to be inside and everything was yeah. going to be okay. And, and then it was like a year later. And you all lived in a place where it got, did Tor Toronto shut down? I feel like all of Canada really shut down for the most part. Yeah, right? they were heavy on our lockdowns. Like they were really strict for a while. Yeah. Couldn't absolutely. leave the country. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, I remember with Sippy, like she had to make a decision of, you know, am I going to go home or am I going to stay here and potentially have the opportunity to keep working and playing shows and being in the United States? It was just crazy. Like everybody made the right decision. <laughs> I know she really did. I Everybody's situations, you know, really got like flipped on their heads 
in in that time. And then everybody had to be really innovative. And that kind of just goes back to like the tight ship that you all run at Deadbeats where you're wearing multiple hats. I feel like at that point in time, if you were a touring act, you could obviously one no longer depend on touring, but coming out of COVID, I think so many people I've spoken with have taken away that touring is really just not financial stability for most people in a long-term way, shape or form, you know, maybe for like very high A-list acts, like maybe like in like Zed's dead shoes, maybe there would be a different perspective based on, you know, what you're making per show, but you invest so much per show as an artist too. So those margins can vary, you know, per show. And then if you don't have a show for over a year, you know, how are you making that other extra income? And now you see a lot of producers have a Patreon and teach lessons or continue to do, you know, demo streams, or they still do Twitch streaming and they make money off of subs and they make money off of subscribers, or, you know, they've done something else in like the audio engineering lane. And I think just as an artist or anybody in the industry, what you said before is the more hats you can wear, the more beneficial and valuable you're going to be, especially I'm sure in your position from, you know, an industry personnel side, working with an agency or a label or a management group or any of those things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's actually like, it's really, it's really disheartening because I've seen so many talented artists that I listen to announced that they're quitting music because they can't afford to tour. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so heartbreaking because like, they're actually so talented. And, you know, if you're not for a lot of people, if you're not like the headline or the direct support, like it can be, it can be really, really hard out there. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely good to have those other ventures like the Patreons or like, cool merch line or any other way that like a smaller artist can bring in extra income um, and not just have to rely on touring. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's a really hard conversation and hard to be transparent about the fact that, you know, you can see artists playing like these huge shows with Zed's dead or these huge shows with excision or with Steve Aoki or with Chami or with Chris Lake and, a lot of them can hardly break even like what you said before, like you have to be able to afford touring, like touring costs money. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people before that opportunity is kind of thrown at them, they really don't understand the whole logistical back end of, okay, awesome. I got like this dream offer, but I don't have enough money to pay for a flight, pay for a hotel, pay my manager, pay my manager and or agent potentially. And then maybe I'm paying for a merch person to be there and paying for merch to be sold. Maybe I have to pay $200, $300 just to get my gear, you know, transferred properly and protected and like in the airplane and cargo and all of that stuff and Ubers and food. And you you have to have, I feel like just, it, it really is like starting a business where you have to have some other form of income until you get to a place where you are so overly confident that like, hey, I'm making enough now that I know I'm going to be okay with touring money only because it's really difficult in this day and age, especially as an up and coming act to say that 
statement confidently without years of work and a really strong team behind you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, you got to decide, like, do I even get a tour manager? Cause like, or do I just do it myself mm-hmm. before? Cause I'm not making enough money for one yet. Like, it's like a lot of just so much, just figuring things out on your own before you can even like have like a proper team or like, you know, yeah, flights, transportation, everything's so expensive. Like we're so used to seeing like the glamorized side of touring with like, you know, all these DJs on their private jets and like five-star hotels. But a lot of people are... The top 3%. Like that's like (laughs) the tippy top. The job like... Like, yeah (laughs) it's like for the reality for a lot of artists it's like you're in a a, a tight van with like eight other people or or something and you know it's like you gotta gotta get through that that hustle before you get to that stage absolutely and it's like it's a very long climb but I think I think there's so many things that happen along that journey that if you miss that part of your career or if you jump past it you miss a lot of like life lessons and building like a sustainable longevity career life shelf lifespan whatever because character building yes and care and like personal stuff you know like and personal character building it's like from an artist point of view I've always said like the more you know just like how we've been talking the better you're gonna be like you should know what a tour manager should be doing. You should know what a manager should be doing. You should know what your agent should be doing because if you're not knowledgeable on those things, then it's really easy to get lost. And then you don't know how people are representing you. You don't know what decisions are being made that you're not being a part of. And at that point, and I know we've all seen kind of artists out there, you kind of become this like puppet and you get to a certain point and it's really hard to see kind of a person through the project per se um, when you don't have like this crazy marshmallow on your head or you're like one of those <laughs> types of brands of DJs. And I think the the most successful acts I've had the pleasure of speaking to and just speaking within a room or being inspired by have all done kind of everything on their own before they had a really great team behind them and like know exactly what should be done, have made those mistakes so that when they really bring someone on, you're trustworthy and you know that they're doing the correct job. And I feel like in your lane too, like any industry professional kind of job, you have to have that experience under your belt or that willingness to learn because there's going to be so many curveballs thrown at you. And especially with social media and handling marketing and all of that stuff that I know you oversee at Deadbeats, it's like ever changing the best way to reach someone and the best way, you know, to reach the demographic that you had, but now TikTok's here and now Reels are here. Um, How did you guys kind of start to approach that when it all came out? Was it just kind of like, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what held as far as real content and putting things in videos instead of photos? Like, did that whole dynamic change as far as your social media kind of representation across the board? Yeah, like, like as a social media manager, we're constantly keeping up with the social trends and like the always changing algorithms. Like, 
pretty much like you said, like it's throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks, and then just going with that until the algorithm changes again. Um, we always have to be on our phones so that we're like keeping up with the trends. Like our screen time is beyond, but Despicable. we got to do yeah, we got to do it for the cause. Because like yeah. between Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, even Facebook, like no one cares about Facebook, but like I know, <laughs> you know, like we still got to oh. like keep up with like everything that's that's changing and you know know what type of post works and what doesn't and i mean mark like that's that's marketing in general like i could open up my marketing textbooks from college and none of it will apply to today like it's all it's all expired like it's constantly changing so part of our job is just keeping up with the trends and just knowing what works and what doesn't Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so difficult sometimes, but it's also like, we have really awesome fucking jobs. So it's hard to like (laughs) complain and be like, this is such a bitch. And then also be like, I love doing this every day because I do love doing it every day. But there's definitely those conversations that are out there where it's like artists are not content creators that all stand behind a hundred thousand percent, but social media platforms have now allowed an alleyway for you to really reach an abnormal amount of people even if it's not always your music or music related content i use Hayes as a great example i use zingara as a great example where that killing was, it on tiktok yep and that was so their good. lane to open up a window to then push the music forward and i think so much of it is when you kind of pursue things that you didn't necessarily have in the back of your mind as being a set journey. I think a lot of artists I speak with, even when they're like highly accredited or like quite a few years into developing their project, they have a really set path of what they want to follow of the vision they want to create for their project. And, you know, you do this, you get the tour offers, you have a discussion with agents, you get your music signed here, you start your own label, you do da 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 da. And the best points of growth or like the best breakthrough kind of stories I've heard is with like alleyways that were really the least expected like TikTok like what TikTok has done for artists if you figured it the fuck out which I'm still trying to figure it out (laughs) but but you know it's 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 definitely a crazy thing, but you have to take advantage of it as an artist. Like it's part of your job. Like it's part of like, if you really want this, you have to use every tool available to you to, to do it. And that's why like, when I like teach students or whatever, you know, some of them are like, Hey, should I not be using samples from splice? Should I be creating these sounds myself? Or should I not be using the scale feature? Just kind of, I'm sure on your end, it's like, why wouldn't I use Kill the Eight? I'm not going to make this merch from fucking scratch. Like, I'm going to use <laughs> the tools and the companies that have developed their expertise to help me along my journey. And that's how I view social media. Like, social media is just one of those paths that if you can figure it out and you can grow a channel or a page or something and pop off somewhere, it will draw followers to your music. I've never seen it not, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like it is a really important tool. And I I almost hate, like, I hate that, that it's like so important that like, we need it. But like, it's, it is the direct way to market yourself to fans and followers. 
So like, you know, I know so many people and artists who like hate social media. They're like, why do we have to be good at this? Like, can't, can't the music do the talking? And it's like, you're lucky if it does, but if you can be really good at putting yourself out there on socials and garnering lots of views and followers, like that's just going to continue to work out in your favor. And if you're really personable on, on social media, like have like a certain voice, like the way like Subtronics, for example, or Res, like kind of like have this voice they use on social media and are really like uh, personable with their fans. It, it pays off in the long run because it makes, it makes people feel connected and like they want to support you. So it's, it, as you know, as unfortunate as it is that we like need social media, like it is such an important tool and we all got to be making use out of it as, as best as we can. Absolutely. There are like a lot of beneficial factors and especially in, I feel like the DJing producer lane, the more that you break down that fourth wall, especially in like bass music I've seen and like the more that you kind of share your personal life and kind of make yourself not always accessible, like a healthy accessible level or a healthy accessible level, I should say. Boundaries Um, are important. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. People will like fuck with your music. Maybe if they didn't necessarily like the exact subgenre that you're releasing because they fuck with you, you know, and I, I really do see that a lot where you get these comments or you get these people like, hey, I don't normally like dubstep, but I really loved your take on this. I really love these videos or I love the series or I love this interview you did where they get kind of like more of a scope into who you are as a person. And I feel like that fourth wall got super broken down during COVID where you really realize that everyone's just a human in a bedroom and everyone is just like DJing in their room. And you've got these national A-list acts that are streaming bedroom sets, you know? And it was like this really cool, like, humbling thing where I felt like it really reset this kind of like playground platform where it allowed a lot of new acts to kind of seep through the cracks and come up during COVID, which is super awesome. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's almost like it was like that aspect was like a little bit of a silver lining. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously like having shows and live events taken away was not what anyone wanted but exactly what you said like having everyone kind of be on the same level and you know all all in it together like we're all screwed over we all can't tour like you know it it did it did bring a sort of humbling experience and gave smaller artists a chance to to shine and like build their twitch their twitch channels at the same time that the bigger acts are building their Twitch channels started too, with and zero. Everyone's starting with everyone's zero. starting at zero. Mm-hmm. So I I I like to think that that, that kind of helps smaller artists get get a chance. Absolutely. Silver lining. Yep. Uh, there's a silver lining yeah. in everything. That's how yeah. <laughs> I like to look at it. And it's really I feel like it's really easy because we're definitely a big community, but we're also a very small community. Um, where a lot of people, especially I would say like on the back end of festivals, like you start to see the same faces, you start to see the same teams, you start, you know, and you start making those connections where it's really easy to play the comparison game, especially when you're an upcoming act and you're not like this 
ZZ or Rez where it doesn't matter. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm an A-list act. Like, I'm always going to be a headliner. And that's that. Like, when you're climbing the ladder, as they did at 1.2, Zed's dead climb the ladder, Rez climb the ladder, just like that. And it's just, like, kind of dimming out that that light of comparison and trying to bring that same energy into, you know, the industry that did pick up after COVID. Because you guys were really just, like, speed forward ahead through COVID, even without shows, because you guys are label, you kept releasing, you kept doing the Twitch streams, you adapted to the live space in that way. And then when you came out of it, the shows came back. Finally, I feel like your release schedule is more packed than ever. You know, there's releases dropping all the time. What is like next for Deadbeats? Like, do you guys have any concepts that you're really trying to develop moving forward into 2023 like are there new things new artists new concepts that you're introducing for the fiscal year or have like goals to introduce like new lines all of that fun stuff definitely i think this year one of our goals is to kind of actually strip back a little bit because uh last year we were doing two sometimes three releases a week yeah like sunday was releases getting- like tuesday <laughs> releases. yeah 100 <laughs> percent yeah, like it was getting it, it was getting to be like a lot. So I think this year we're kind of stripping back, focusing on some key acts on the label and really like putting a lot of our energy into like a more larger scale releases, more like bringing up these select acts that we're working with. Um we're going to do we're and that that's going to translate over to our events too like there's not going to be a deadbeats tour this year. We're going to do select shows in certain cities and kind of just make them bigger and better than ever. And as for altered states, we're just going to continue right now. We're still kind of at the beginning there. We're just going to continue building that, getting more artists on there and hopefully doing some more underground events and just love- kind of building up that label. I loved like when I started to see like the deadbeat shows with like the altered states takeovers in the side room. Yes. Like that is super, super, super sick. It's it's kind of like how you guys have like your main stage and then you'll have like blank with uh is it how do you pronounce it? Aeon mode? Aeon mode. Yeah. Aeon mode. Okay, cool. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna butcher <laughs> this. This is gonna be great. Um have him like headlining in the side room, like what you guys do with Brooklyn Mirage. And then you have a full drum and bass night. And then you have a full, like they'll still play drum and bass on the main stage, but they've got like more of like an all across the board. Maybe you got a bass house act and a regular dubstep act and all that stuff. And it's just like really expanding the culture. And I feel like at Deadbeats, there's just really something for everyone who is, you know, into electronic music in general, which I don't think I will say a lot of places just don't offer that. You know, there's just not talent buyers there's not they're like mini festivals almost with the same exact population you know and there's just not talent buyers and not other labels that are going around and i i feel like you guys really put a lot of thought into the curation of your lineups for those shows and how did the boys start altered states like was it a collaborative thing or did they come to you and they were like hey we really love this like ambient music like we've always had in our sets and this kind of way more streamable instead of like live space cultured uh releases was that like everybody's like hey let's start a new label or were they coming to you and saying this is it we're starting a new label are you guys behind it 
Well, Altered States has always kind of been part of their brand. Like they both like they both enjoy like that kind of down tempo music a lot. And uh, they they had a series of mixes they were putting out uh, here and there. Yeah. The Catching Z's mixes that was like all down tempo, like relaxing, chilled out music. And those were extremely well received. And they also did a tour. I can't remember if this was like 2013 or 2014 or like really long time ago, but it was like a bus tour throughout North America and it was called the Altered States Tour. So like that name has just always been a part of their brand and the Catching Z's mixes and like their love for that type of music. It just made sense that they would come out with a side label uh, to house that kind of more experimental sound and put out their Catching Z's album on it, which was like kind of had the essence of those mixes, but with music, like more music, like all produced by them, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's like the dream is like, hey, like everything I kind of have. And, and the fact that it was still an extension of something that they established in like the Zed's Dead project a very long time mm-hmm. ago and having it come to fruition just so many years later when they've like teased it they've incorporated it i mean catching z's mixes have been around for at least a decade at least yeah at least, something like Even that forever forever <laughs> and you know jam those like in your room like in the car like on a drive kind of thing it's just it's crazy to see like the little empire that they've built and the fact that it's really not this huge, like, corporatized label, you know? Like, we we know corporatized labels, like, people who are underneath <laughs> Universal Music or they're underneath X, Y, and Z, and there's a big office and all of that stuff, and you guys have kept it, like, what Harrison said before, like, a tight ship, like, three <laughs> hamsters in a wheel. I'm just, like, picturing your faces, like, spinning around in a hamster wheel now. Because, like, I'm the sure... water, the water yeah. bottles. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure that's what it's like sometimes when it's, like you know just very very long days and like short nights and then you guys are traveling but it's an amazing career that has given you a leeway to really if you ever did leave you could go to so many places with so many things under your belt which which with what you said before you know if you were at a really large label you would have your job and your job and your lane and that would be it you would be social media manager you would be merchandise coordinator all of that stuff and that would be it but now you've kind of had to pull the ropes from all these different sides and you've stepped into a and ring and you're still overseeing merch and you're still overseeing the social media it's just it's a really cool i think unique career path that a lot of people don't have the pleasure of like fully enjoying for the amount of time that you've worked with them um from just your journey thus far before i let you go i would love to have like three pieces of advice that you would give to any aspiring industry professional that really just wants to make their foot into the other side of the industry and they may not know the best way how like maybe they're going to shows or they know some people here and there but they really just want the opportunity to work and learn i think number one networking is super important if you're someone that already goes out to events and shows, try to network as much as possible. You know, you never know who's standing next to you. It's important to go out and meet people in the industry. Uh, you know, you could find out who the promoter is or who's running the venue and just introducing yourself. It goes a long way. And having those connections, you know, will further help you be able to 
find out if this company or this company like has any leads in terms of jobs um, and just getting your foot in the door. And if you can get your foot in the door, even just doing something like running guest lists at a club or ticket taking at a venue, like that's even that's like a good way in because you'll meet so many other industry professionals on the way that could help you kind of like move up from that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I want to say is be as versatile as possible. Like once you already have the job or even if you're still looking, like if you can just expand on your skills as much as possible and just like learn as many skills as you can, that's going to set you apart from any other applicant. Um, you know, everyone puts their proficient in Microsoft word on their resume, but like everyone knows how to use Microsoft word. Not everyone knows how to run social media correctly or use Photoshop or know how to animate a video. And those are all things that can really come in handy and help you kind of fill a gap in the company you're working for that might need it and might not have the resources to hire a professional to do it. Like if, if you can kind of figure out how to do those jobs on your own, then I think you're set. Like, I think there are, there really are some people who get it and some people don't. And if, if you like have the drive to not, not only the drive, but if you like have, like, if you're like good with technology and like have the drive and you're willing to like watch YouTube videos to like learn Photoshop or whatever, like, that will help you like that is people like to see that you have a drive and that you're able to fill a missing gap. So I I think making yourself versatile as much as possible is really important. And third, take initiative. There's always work to be done. Um, the, I guess this touches on my last point, but like, if you see, if, if there's a gap, missing in the company that you think that you can help with. Like for me, it was kind of building the social medias. Like I saw an opportunity to like get started on getting us to a hundred thousand followers. Like if you see something that is not being worked on, like it's not getting the attention of the rest of the staff or something like put like get in there and, and make suggestions and, just like, don't stay silent. Like your employer will want to hear from you and it'll set you apart to kind of have, have those ideas and not just sit silently and only do what you're told. Like you want to kind of make yourself known. So I was, I I would say networking, make yourself versatile and, uh, what was the third one? Initiative. (laughs) Initiative. Yes. Initiative. Initiative. (laughs) I love it. I love it. No, it's, it's all of that is so true. And I feel like that's in like any workspace, you know, like you yeah. can apply that to anything, but so much of what you said is just, you know, that willingness to learn and like set yourself apart from the others. And I love the, okay, this is an awesome company, but it's like missing this one part. And I can be good at this one part where the more that you prove your value in like a unique way, the better off it's just going to be long term. And I love that too. And especially being like women, you know, I think it sometimes is intimidating, especially if you're like a beginning worker or, you know, a beginning act or whatever. And you have all of these usually men who are usually older than you and have way more experience. That doesn't mean that you have to be quiet. And the more that you kind of speak your opinion and speak your thoughts and speak your ideas, 
the more it's just going to in turn give you like this high level, higher level of respect from your peers and like from your employer. And I've just talked to so many people too. I mean, you always have those savants that are incredible artists or have this incredible client list or, you know, have this insane resume that may kind of deem themselves better than their attitude or their character. But nine times out of 10, I feel like people, whether it's an agent looking to represent an act or an employer looking to hire someone who is on the newer side, they rather have someone who is a kind person and willing to learn and willing to be a hard worker than someone who has like their stick up their ass and thinks they're like the best thing since life spread, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Like you, you want to, you definitely want to find a a balance between like being humble, but also like having that drive to learn and like put yourself out there, make yourself known, especially as women, like you said, like, it is a male dominated industry music. So like you want to make sure you're getting yourself heard, not, but like, you know, obviously not overstepping boundaries that goes for anyone, but like, just like having initiative and kind of like, you know, making suggestions and offering to like, kind of help with some aspect, whatever you think could be better in the company goes a long way like employers definitely appreciate initiative and proactiveness definitely 100 Mm percent. i love this conversation thank you so much for coming on i feel like i learned so much i'm glad i got to see kind of under the hood of like the deadbeats label and like what you do and it's such a tight ship so you do so much which is so impressive and i can't wait for the next time that we get to hang out and see each other. It's probably going to be this summer, maybe before then, but yes. probably going to be this summer and we're going to have a great time in Denver and I'm super excited. Um, but Harley, thank you so Can't much for wait. coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun and yeah, we'll see, see you soon. Absolutely.